extend a welcome to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Do you believe what you just sang, that that city is almost in sight? Well, I can tell you it's closer than it was 40 years ago. And uh, it's with anticipation that we, we look forward to that that time. also found it rather interesting in the uh, Sunday school lesson. There was a thought that stood out to me, and I think we discussed it maybe just briefly. It says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves. Do we save ourselves? Well, in one sense we do. We appropriate salvation that has been given to us as a gift from Jesus Christ. And it's a thought that parallels what I want to share about this morning. Jude, in his writing, Jude is a short book, one chapter only. I'd like to look at verse 21, and it reads like this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So there it tells us that we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. I read that verse a number of weeks back, and it was one of those verses that, you know, they just kind of stick with you. And I thought, you know, we many times think about God's love as being unconditional. And in one dimension, it is unconditional. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. We didn't deserve that love. Not not a one of us. None of humanity none of humanity deserved that love. But you know, after we have reached out and accepted that salvation that he has given, like we like we had described in our Sunday school lesson, saving ourselves, appropriating that gift of salvation in our experience, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, then we are accountable. We are responsible. And uh, it's not just do as you please after that. And that's where the keeping comes in. The idea of keeping has the idea of possessing or to have, retain possession of, or avoid yielding to others, maintain, protect, continue, or persist. And you think of that of, of in relation to, to love. And I was blessed as uh, Alan led that uh, hymn this morning, 789, a very, very old hymn. Back to, it's given 1842. And it says, love in loving finds employ. You look at that phrase. <laughs> you know, it's not a phrase that we probably in our English today would, would use. Love in loving finds employ. And I, I was meditating on that phrase just in the prelude here before the sermon in the Sunday school lesson just a little bit while we were singing. Love in loving finds employ. And what I'm taking from that phrase there is the fact that, you know, we need to love and, uh, as we love, there, we're going to see how much more need there is for love. And as we are poured out, as God's love pours, flows through us, we're going to find that, you know, we can't do it all. <laughs> it takes more than me. And employing, I'm thinking about being busy. I think, you know, there's, there's going to be a vast field of opportunity to find employee in loving. You're never going to experience a layoff. You're never going to experience, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 an emptiness in, in loving. You're going to be, if you're doing it genuinely, genuinely from the heart and God is, is motivating you, why you will always 
always find opportunities. I'll guarantee you that. And that's a challenge to us to, to love and loving finding employee. May we truly be uh, that type of Christians. Before I begin looking at the verse here in Jude in a little further depth, I'd like to, as I, I looked at that thought, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. My mind went to another portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. I'd like to take you back to that Scripture in Romans chapter 8. I'd like to read verses 35 through verse 39. These are familiar verses. You may have known them by memory. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor pars, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are precious verses to us as children of God. Um, the natural man, as we, we look at verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You think of tribulation. Um, you know, the natural man and mind wants to recoil at things mentioned in this verse. Tribulation means trouble. You know, who wants tribulation? We like when things go smooth. We like when things are easy. But tribulation, trouble, is that something that is going to separate us from the love of Christ? Love of God as we know it? It's only if we don't keep ourselves in the love of God. Distress. Another word would be to describe distress would be hardship. Again, we like when things are easy. We like when things are smooth. Persecution. You know, the disciples, the early church had a first taste experience of that. We are, it's foreign to us almost. Dare I say, in North America. Persecution. Famine. The closest we've come was COVID-19 when some of the store shelves were empty. And, you know, we wouldn't describe that as a famine. I, I don't think anybody went hungry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the absence of food to the extent that famine would be the absence of food to the extent that it's affecting us physically. Is that going to affect our love relationship with Jesus Christ? Talks about nakedness. Three basics. You know, we talk about the three basics, food, clothing, and shelter. And, you know, here and again, North America, we, we really don't, you know, us. I'm talking about us. There is some of that in North America, probably more than we want to realize. But is that going to separate us from the love of Christ? Not unless we allow it to separate us. A sword, that's a weapon of death. Can that separate us from the love of Christ? Looking at verse 30, 36, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Does my life portray that of a sheep? Am I, am I ready to lay it all down, give it all up, everything that life has to offer in exchange for that relationship with Jesus Christ, my love for him? The writer here says, as it is written, for thy sake, we are count, we are killed all the day long. 
We need to be ready to divulge ourselves of all of those things that we sometimes hold on to so dearly. Suffering many times seems to be a part of Christianity. And again, I'm not one to stand here and tell you about it because I have not personally experienced it like others have experienced it. Notice verse 37, it says, Nay, in all of these things we are more than conquerors. How can we be more than conquerors? When we are tried in these experiences that are described here in the verses preceding this, when we are tried, you know, what we lose by losing them is only that which would detract us from being what God wants from us. When we committed ourselves to the love of Jesus Christ, we are committing ourselves to he's first. And we talk about God needing to be first in our lives. But when we allow those other things to crowd in and, and we hold tightly to those things, we're not ready to let them go. That's when we become less than what God wants us to be. But when we are ready to leave go of those things, you know, all of those things that are mentioned, the tribulation, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the wantonness of for clothes or pearl or sword, uh, or even physical life, when we allow those things to uh, keep us from being what God wants us to be, then God is not, we are not in the love of God, we are not keeping the love of God as Jude would want us to or challenges us to. We are more than conquerors, is the way the writer describes it. But what remains is that which is genuine. Strip away everything that we have here today is really the true you and me this morning. It's not our possessions. Um, I don't want to say this carefully. You know, it's not maybe even as we are known as... Um, it's as, as, as God knows us. Not so much, I, I'm hoping we're genuine so that we are open with one another. We talked about the community of believers and brotherhoods this morning. So I think that's, that's important that we're, we're open with each other. But you know, God knows our hearts. God knows each one of us in a genuine way. And that which we, that's what, when we take away everything else, everything temporal, everything tangible, that's who we really are. And what would I look like? It's a question I ask you. What would you look like this morning? Verse 38 talks about, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor pars, nor things present, nor things to come. Um, you know, he makes a comparison between death, and then he says life. Uh, are we persuaded that that can truly be our experience. As I thought about the idea of life being there in that in that thought, it says, "I am persuaded that neither death nor life." Why does he say "nor life"? Isn't that when we're at our best, we're we need to breathe, we need to function, we need to live? I think the the thought or the concept that I would like to draw from that is: Is it possible that life as we know it could detract us from eternal life? You know, we're we're focused on on temporal life, earthly life, breathing, eating, sleeping, resting, working. And those are all important. I believe as long as we have life, we ought to be productive. 
But I think the, 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 the crux of the, the matter is those things cannot detract or should not detract or take away from our focus beyond to the eternal life that God wants us to experience. I thought about verse 38, the last part there, nor things present, you know, everything as we know it, those things that are here today, uh, everything I have experienced in my past life, you know, those things that we've grown up, you know, we experienced, and, you know, we have milestones that, you know, we experience, and we look back to those things, and, but, you know, we don't know what the future holds. No, no one here really knows what the future holds beyond what the Scripture tells, that there's a city of light as we just got done singing. And that's that should be our focus. That's where we want to end up at. So there are things to come that, you know, we can put our faith and trust in that regardless what happens, regardless what comes, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Verse 39 talks about, it says, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's, I like to think of those verses there, verses 35 through 39, as what God is giving to us as his part of keeping ourselves in his love of God. God's love is is something that you and I can depend on. God's love is something that you and I, uh, we can bank on. It's going to be there. We don't have to worry about God's love vanishing or coming up short or God's love being overcome. Uh, done away with. We don't have to worry about that. But then turn back to Jude. And there are some things that I, I, I think are important for us to understand in keeping ourselves in the love of God. And these are things that I feel is our part. You would agree with me this morning that any relationship is a two-way street, isn't it? Even in the community of brotherhood. So it's a two-way street. We, we learn from each other. You, we give and we take. And it's a two-way street. And it's that way with God. It's a two-way street. He has given us things, but God wants something back from us too. He wants us to be productive Christians. And uh, we need to make the choice to keep ourselves in his love. And that's what the concern is of Jude. I found it interesting the way Jude begins writing there. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. And notice what he says, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So we are preserved. Now our wives do know what preserving is. They can food and they preserve it in jars or they preserve it in the freezer for us to eat later on. Uh, God will preserve us through our time here in earth, on earth. One of the things that I found interesting is a little bit about Jude here. You know, he refers to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. And I, I see something about Jude here. Jude here was likely the half-brother of Jesus, uh, brother of James. And uh, I find it interesting that he, you know, he does not necessarily make that attachment. He makes that attachment to his other physical brother, another physical brother. There was probably several brothers, perhaps half-brothers. This was a, James would have been his full brother. Jesus would have been a half-brother because we know that he was the son of God. <clears throat> You know, natural man, I see something about the humility in Jude in his, in his connections here. You know, natural man would probably say, well, you know what? I, I, I was part of that family, part of the family of, of Jesus Christ. And he is, he is making that connection. He's saying that we are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. 
but he doesn't lift himself above any of his other brethren. And that's what I find interesting about his perception of who he was. And uh, we were talking to Sunday school lesson about needing salvation. You know, we all need salvation, uh, regardless of our background. It isn't going to be our our works, our morally good life that's going to save us. And I appreciate what our conclusion was. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that will save us. And our faith in that blood that's going to save us. There are six steps that I think that we can take here from the book of, from Jude here that, that he challenges us to keep ourselves in the love of God. And the first one I have is in verse three. He says, beloved, when I give all, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. If you're going to keep yourself in the love of God this morning, we need to be earnestly contending for the faith. It's something, you know, two weeks ago, Brother John talked about the good fight of of the Christian life. Fight we usually think of as a negative way, and he mentioned that. But here it talks about we need to be earnestly contending for the faith. Am I an earnest contender of the faith of what I believe, that faith in, in Jesus Christ, the redemption that he provided by through his blood, on Calvary, on the cross, being shed there. Second Timothy chapter 1 is a thought that I uh, was challenged with. And it's, uh, you know, at, at best, as we think of earnestly contending uh, for the faith, Paul here says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of the tears of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which... Dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. He's talking about the faith that was, that, that Timothy was expressing. And Paul is challenging Timothy. He said, you know, this is, this is a, this was a generational thing. And you know, at best, faith is, we are just one link in, in that generation of faith. Um, it can be lost so fast, so fast. It can be, broken so fast, that dimension of faith in Jesus Christ. It, it takes less than one generation, dare I say, at times, to lose that faith. And that's challenging, that's sobering, to realize how fast that faith can be lost. So at best, you and I this morning, as we earnestly contend for the faith, we are only one link, one small link in that and we want to pass that on, and we want others to embrace that. And Paul was referring to that in his letter to Timothy there. Talks about, Paul went on to talk about being of uh, of a power and of a sound mind, not ashamed, partaker of afflictions. Uh, he talks about being a preacher and a teacher, persuaded and serving others. You know, that's that's how we earnestly contend for the faith. We need to, we need to be logical... Well, I want, I, don't, I want to be careful when I say logical thinkers. It needs to be more than that. Logical is part of it, 
God gave us logic, and I think we need to use logic. But there are times we need to go beyond logic in our embracing and contending for the faith. Uh, not ashamed, partaker of affliction. Don't be afraid of the afflictions. You know, they'll refine us. They'll make us into something that is better for the glory of God. And then it talks about being used as a preacher and a teacher and uh, being persuaded in in embracing that faith and then being willing to serve others. Uh, you know, it's a life of Christ. He served others. So the first step we need to take in keeping ourselves in the love of God, again, God does not hold us, hold us in uh, against our will. He provided us with salvation, but then he wants us to continue in that salvation. And it comes down to choices and decisions and uh, trusting him. The second thing is the fact that we need to remember, notice verse 17, and I'm jumping around here in Jude, but verse 17 says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a second step in keeping ourselves in the love of God, and that is remembering the words. I believe we need to daily read, we need to meditate, we need to think, we need to memorize. And as I look back in, in the idea of memorizing, probably the most of my memorizing of Scripture was my two years in the in Christian day school. Some, some are Bible school, perhaps. Uh, but I think the passages that I remember the most are like Romans 12. That was one of the ones from... Uh, and also 1 Corinthians uh, 15. You might say, why words? Remember ye the words. Why words? You know, words are our link in communication. The words that I'm saying this morning are words that should be making some electrical connections in your brain, at least if you're thinking or paying attention. Uh, and even if you're not paying attention, maybe they're entering your subconscious mind and later they'll come back. What did he say? But it's our link of communication, and it's our way of learning, it's our way of teaching, it's our way of warning, it's our way of instructing. Words, they're an important part of our life. But you know, the words that I'm saying this morning are not just any words, they're the words of the scripture. They're the words that were inspired by the Holy Ghost. And that's what makes the difference. You know, I could tell you how to be, how I think to be the, be a dairy farmer would be the best way, but you know, that would be subjective, very subjective. <laughs> or how to do whatever else, uh, hunt or fish or whatever. And I'm not good at either, either one of them. But what we're talking about this morning are the words of life. And we sang about that this morning. That's what makes it important. They're words that are going to make us into God's image, are going to make us instruments and vessels for his glory. So remember the words as you think of keeping yourselves in the love of God. The third thing I see is in verse 20. He says, the third step that I see in keeping ourselves is, but, be, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Build up. I thought of the verses in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. You know, when I think of, of building, First Corinthians chapter 3, I want to read those verses there. Going back to uh, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, 
For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. Justin was talking about being carnal this morning in the devotional. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that gave the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Notice that. We are God's building. We're talking about a foundation in Jude there. Building up. For we are labors together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, notice that, and another buildeth their own. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Farther foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Building begins with what? Building begins with a plan. Read about it in the Word of God. God has a plan for your life. You might say, what does God want with my life? God wants you in his love, first of all. God wants you to experience his salvation, accept that gift, and then keep yourself in his love. And it's unbelievable. It's beyond our imagination what God can do with a life that is committed to him. So we have a foundation. We embrace Jesus Christ, his redemption. Uh, talks about the different materials that can be used. And we want to use only the best material. And we want to give God our best. Talks about principles, those things that guide us. Uh, blessings of usefulness. You know, God, I believe, looks... When you think of God's valuation of, of a soul being worth more than the whole world, and, uh, you know, the carnal man is worried about saving the earth. And I, you know, I, in all due respect, I, I think we, God has, we ought to be good stewards of the earth that God has given to us. We ought to be good stewards of the body that God has given to us. Uh, you know, it talks about us as being his temple. Is my life a temple of, of holiness and happiness that would attract others to say, that's who I would like to be like. I want to be a child of God. <clears throat> are you building up this morning looking at the second part of that verse is the next step that I have that of praying in the Holy Ghost I don't know if that uh, that concept of praying in the Holy Ghost um, is there any other way to pray well Jesus talked about using vain repetition he refuted the scribes and Pharisees of that type or level of praying. And uh, are we guilty of that sometimes? <laughs> Where is our mind wondering when we're praying sometimes? Or when we're praying in a group, when someone else is leading us, 
do we pray along with? You know, we typically don't pray because, you know, we think we're such good prayers or we're so eloquent about expressing our thoughts. At least that shouldn't be the concept. But the idea of, of group praying is the idea that we're praying to lead others in, in our thought process and that their minds are drawn into that same pro- thought process. I liked Matthew Henry's idea as I looked at his thoughts in regards in praying in the Holy Ghost. And he says, praying in the Holy Ghost is, is as the nurse of faith. And, you know, that's, I like that expression. You know, you think of, of praying in the Holy Spirit. It's, it's that nurse of faith. It's giving us that which is important, that which is, is going to nourish us. I also thought of the verses in, in Romans, and I'm not back there anymore, but Romans chapter 8, I thought of this, this expression that, uh, in Romans 8 verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know if we fully understand how that works. I, I don't understand how that works. But I know there are times that I I could not put into words what my thoughts were. And I trusted the Holy Spirit to convey my thoughts to God, to the throne of God, so that he could, the Holy Spirit would convey that message to God and it would be answered in an appropriate way. I'd like to challenge you with the concept this morning, and I know, you know, it's something we think about at times, but, you know, to realize that prayer invokes a power dimension that we really cannot measure. To think that the God of heaven and earth, how great is our God? I mean, he's so far beyond you and me this morning, how small and finite we are. And to think that God who has created the universe is listening to us when we pray to him, come to his throne. It invokes a power that is is we can't measure. We can't put a dimension on it. We can't put any kind of uh, limitations on it. And, you know, when we see God, we see prayer working. We see the answers to prayer. It's a challenge to us to realize that there's a, a living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God and uh, to realize that God can hear those prayers and answer those prayers. In his timing. As I thought about Jude's expression here, keep yourselves in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thought of my mind traveled back to, uh, some who God did keep. I thought of Daniel, thought of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Old Testament patriarchs who didn't have Jude's expression here in verse 21. But you know, I'm convinced that Jew, I'm convinced that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and many of the others, they had kept themselves in the love of God. They were where God could bless them. And you know, the best thing I can think of as far as keeping ourselves in the love of God is, is between a, a child and parent relationship. You know, we, we expect our children, you know, we give them instructions, we give them, um, we, we, we convey to them what our expectations are of them. And, you know, when they violate that, when they step outside those perimeters, you know, yes, we still love them. But, you know, there's consequences that go along with that. And God just relates to us somewhat in the same way. Our Heavenly Father, when we step outside of those, He wants to bring us back. And there may be 
there may be consequences in our, in our decisions and choices that we, that are painful. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And how far, how far can we stray and still expect to feel God's love? And what does God's love feel like? Did you think about that? What does God's love feel like? Just my short, brief exposition of that is I, I think of God's love as being, when we're in God's love, as being an experience of peacefulness, uh, an experience of happiness, an experience of joy. Uh, those are all things that, that come to my mind as I think about what God's love is. And, uh, you know, it's it's something... You know, it's the most secure place you could be in God's love. Because you know it's something you can depend on. As I thought about Daniel in the lion's den, you know, he had seemingly had no no reservation. He opened up them doors toward Jerusalem, that his windows to the Jerusalem that night, prayed, knelt and prayed just like he had done before. And, you know, he knew what the consequences were going to be. Uh, he may have heard the lions roaring off in the distance. I don't know. That's just my imagination. But uh, it did jog my memory to an incident. Uh, and, and Daniel, I think, certainly, uh, you know, he was he was keeping himself in a place where God could bless him, a place where God could keep him. And that's where we want to be. We want to be keep ourselves in his love so that we're so close to him that his love will protect us and keep us. What I started out to say was it jogged my memory of an incident um, as a boy growing up just outside of the town of Ephrata. There was a man had a backyard zoo and uh, in that zoo he had quite an assortment of animals but one of his pride and joys was a lion, an African lion in his backyard. Can you imagine? <laughs> and uh, I don't know this man. He was He was kind of a, a a tough-looking man. I don't know what his background or really what he's, but I know he was open to the public. He'd let you come in, and there was monkeys and I don't peacocks, and but his pride and joy was that lion. He had that lion, and I know we walk in different times on occasions, and uh, he had this lion. He'd uh, he'd feed him, go in the pen with him actually, and then he'd have him open his mouth, and then he'd stick his head in the mouth, <laughs> and. Uh, I know everybody said sometime we're going to, this man's name was Swigert. Some, everybody said sometime we're going to read about Mr. Swigert in the news. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, we did read about him in the news at one time, but it actually wasn't the lion that got him. It was an automobile accident. But, uh, I just happened to think about that. And I'm, in my opinion, that man probably wasn't keeping himself in a place where he should have been. That was going beyond. And I had to expect that, uh, I don't know this man even professed to be a Christian, probably not. I, I don't know him. I was just a little tight, but I knew our family would at times walk through that backyard zoo on an evening. And it seemed like he reveled when people were there because he'd, uh, he'd lay in there with him and read the newspaper and, uh, and get him to roar and do all kinds of things. But, uh, I thought of that in relation to Daniel. You know, I, I think if Daniel would have had an opportunity to not be thrown into the lion's den, he would have probably not, uh, uh, presuming on the Lord, I guess is the word I want to, to uh, use here in relation to the swigered man that uh, had the zoo. Looking at the uh, amplified, I like the amplified version of verse 21, and we know, understand, 
recognize, are conscious of, by observation and by experience, and believe, adhere to, and put faith in, and rely on, the love of God cherisheth for us. And he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. Love is is the the predominant thought of continuing God. And uh, we heard that before this morning, that love, if we love, we clearly are, our ability to love comes from God. The, uh, the idea of looking for mercy there, it says um, in the latter part of verse 21, keep looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the idea of mercy is withholding that which we deserved. And to realize that each one of us here this morning, uh, we actually deserved death. The wages of sin is death. All of us were sinners. We deserve death. But if we repent, God is offering mercy to us. And I thought of the verses there in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God, that he's challenging us that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. If we want to find mercy, we need to be givers of mercy as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, what are the results of persevering? What are the results of keeping ourselves in the love of God? It says for... um, the idea of eternal, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The results of persevering are we, you and I, can experience of eternal life. How do I begin to describe eternal life this morning? I, I can't describe it. <laughs> you know, we, we, we have from birth to death. Um, Mark Twain, and I mentioned this when we were talking here the other day about that, Mark Twain had this uh, expression of life. He said, life would be infinitely happier if we could only be born at 80 and gradually approach to 18. Well, that's the natural man's perspective of it. You know, we like to think life is getting better. But, you know, as we age, these physical bodies wear out. And, uh, you know, we look back with longing sometimes at, you know, the things we used to do and the things we could do. And as we get older, we have to realize our physical limitations. And uh, But there's God didn't plan for us to live here forever. And I thought of the Spanish explorer, Ponce de Leon, who was searching for that fountain of youth in Florida. <laughs> and did he find it? No, he didn't find it. And we'll never find it in this life. It's beyond this life what we want to focus on. And I'm convinced, and the challenge I want to leave with you this morning is keeping yourselves in the love of God is what's going to see you into and unto that eternal life that God wants you and I to experience this morning. May God help us and bless us to that end.